Score, the podcast. The only show taking you inside the studios of the world's most celebrated composers and musical storytellers. Presented by Spitfire Audio. I'm Kenny Holmes. He's Robert Kraft. Yep. <laughs> yep. This is Score the Podcast presented by Spitfire Audio. We're back from our summer hiatus. Uh, we were just talking about uh, Robert and I both went to the Dodger game by ourselves over the summer. And um, we didn't know we, each other was there. And it's, we found out on social media. <laughs> it's kind of perfect. It's It was a midday game. We and, both, <laughs> and unfortunately, Kenny had to leave to do something that I like to call work. Yeah. And I stayed. And you had the bougie seats. And I had the bougie seats. I bought myself one ticket behind <laughs> home plate. Just had an incredible time. And to top it off. The bottom of the ninth. Oh, it was a walk-off. The guy I wins know. the game. I was sad I missed it. It was so great. <laughs> hey, um, how, how lucky are we to have Spitfire sponsor this show? I think it's just the most perfect fit. It's really exciting. So many people have called me to say, what a great sponsor for SCORE. Because it's perfect, yeah. they use Spitfire products. Well, we're going to get to um, why Spitfire is so great, but I do want to introduce really quick, without being rude, that uh, we're welcomed today, or we're welcoming, I should say. I uh, don't feel very welcome. A familiar voice, Mash Raider, the Raider hey. himself, is here for a special episode, and yeah. we also have Carol on the mic today. Hey. No, there you go. That is what, if you look up enthusiasm, she is hey, she's This shy. is a special episode because we're doing, uh, well, we're doing the Emmy picks right now, but at the end of this episode, we're doing <gasps> Name That Score. We're back. We're back and we're bad. First time this season. A lot oh. of people have asked, and we thought maybe we should just have a come back with a bang. And um, we also have a huge guest this week. He's nominated yeah. for an Emmy for House of Cards. He already has five other Emmys. And uh, we're in, in his awesome studio today. Jeff Beal is on the show today. Yeah, yeah fantastic. And I think he's going to win another one. I think so. Oh, well, we're going to do our Emmy Is that your prediction? Do we just take that yeah, category? Yeah, 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 that's a tease for... Uh, we're going to do our Emmy Emmy. Emmy, Emmy predictions but okay. it's hard to say uh and coming up in just a bit but we want to tell you about our presenting partner spitfire audio if you're a composer listening right now you probably know about spitfire already uh, but spitfire makes sample libraries for the world's leading film composers including many of the guests right here on mm -hmm. our show many of the uh nominated emmy nominated composers even that's right very true and um, they're unique because they're, all the, the samples that they record are done at Air Studios in London, which is in uh, the documentary um, score, a film music documentary. That's right. And they use, is, does Hans Zimmer uh, record many of the samples for them? I believe he's done his own, yeah, his own, uh, his own sample pack. And I know they also use a couple of them actually. Uh, the Bernard Herrmann estate. That's mm -hmm. right. And the, is it the Albion One? I think the, that's their package. That if you're starting out. That's a great yeah. place to start. There, there's tons of sounds in there, and um, yeah, they they recommend that as kind of the starting point. But they have so many different sound libraries and different soundscapes. Carol, you use Spitfire. Mm -hmm. I have their Spitfire strings and percussion libraries. They're nice. great. Mm -hmm. Nice. Well, um, if you are listening and you want to use their products, we have a special promo code right now for a third off if you use the promo code SCORE in your cart when you're checking out. A third? A third off. Wow. It's, it's pretty... It's pretty crazy. Oh wow! Because 
first off, like their products aren't on sale very often, but a third off is, I mean, oh. that's, sometimes people say, oh, 10% off, it's, you're just getting the So tax. what? Yeah, third, a third off. So, and this is a limited time offer. And what's the promo code again? Come on now. It, that's what it is? Come on now? It's too easy. It's SCORE. Go to spitfireaudio.com. Use Good the promo idea. code SCORE. Use the promo code SCORE. And then um, stick around after the show today because we are going to play you. They send us some cues where they really use a lot of their examples of uh, the sound packages they have. And um, we're going to play one of those for you just so you can get an idea. After of, name that SCORE. After name that SCORE and after we talk with Jeff Beal. But before we uh, get to Jeff... We want to do our Emmy predictions. A big week coming oh, it's up time. next week. Yep, it's well, coming up. You know up. what? This the Emmy predictions. Actually, the whole show this week is bracketed by first. You're going to guess Emmys, then you're going to guess name that score. That's right. So it's a very you, interactive show, it is. so you I can like guess that. along with us. Yep. Play along with us at home. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll read off some of these options because we did this last year, and if you'll remember. Uh, we only picked four categories last year. Robert ended up uh, with a point and a half. Oh, forget exactly. Saying, did you say oh, I got <laughs> I for, it right? Forget exactly how the half point worked. Uh, it's because it, he was piggybacking <laughs> off my choices like he does in half point. Might have been just for general handsomeness. I think uh, he gave me an so extra point. Robert had a point and a half out of four. General had, handsomeness. I, do you know him? <laughs> he used to work at the Pentagon. <laughs> I had two out of four, and Kenny won last year's little uh, uh, Score the Podcast Emmys prediction. He had uh, 2.5 out of four. Half point. This half point, I think, is because we couldn't figure out who piggybacked off of who. Either way, (laughs) Kenny was the winner last year. This year, we're expanding. We're picking two shows. These are non-music related, comedy and drama. And then we're going to go, and and limited series as well. So those three, plus... The four categories uh, where some of our guests uh, of this very show have been nominated. Fabulous. Um, so, uh, so we'll including just including today's guest, including today's guest. Yes. Um, so uh, let's let's jump into the TV shows first because I think these are the easiest to go through. And uh, our nominees here are for comedy are Barry on HBO, Fleabag on Amazon Prime, The Good Place on NBC. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon Prime, Russian Doll on Netflix, Schitt's Creek on Pop, and Veep, HBO. We're going to have to bleep that. It's, there's a Schitt's C in there. You, oh, okay, if you good. were paying attention, you could tell there was a C in Schitt's. I have a prediction, and it's very unorthodox prediction, but I think that the Emmys... Get up on that microphone. Like, <laughs> like these kind of shows. I mean, of course, Veep has been traditional... Yeah, and, might and last season, home. right? Last season, so it's probably a probably a front runner. But I'm going to go with Fleabag. Ooh, mm. that is a good. I've seen that show. Yeah. This season got great reviews. Great Kenny, reviews. what do you think? Uh, because I'm a huge fan, and I think that uh, a lot of the actors are going to win as well. I'm going to go with Barry. Oh, okay, strong. Carol, what about you? What was it? Can you repeat it again? Barry, Fleabag, The Good Place. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, oh. Russian Doll, Schitt's Creek, and Veep. These are just the comedies. I'm going to go with The uh, the Good Place. The Good Ooh, Place. she's oh. going network television. I'm going to go with Veep, which is, uh, I think, probably a front runner since it's their last season. Matt it thinks all of like his picks are front runners, by the way, on the drive over uh, here. I'll have you know that uh, I did place second out of three last year, so well I think I know what I'm talking about. Okay. Uh, dramas, Better Call Saul, Bodyguard. Mm. Mm. 
Game of Thrones, mm. Killing Eve, Ozark, Pose, Secession, This Is Us. Secession? <laughs> Succession. That is a really hard category. Those are a lot of great yeah, shows. Can we go through those again? Because it just got better and better. I'm thinking <laughs> I loved Ozark. I loved Succession. There's what Killing else Eve. is in there? Oh, Killing, Killing Eve. Eve. Loved it. Loved it. You know the name of the composer for Killing Eve? David Holmes. Oh, you're right. Also my dad's name. Not No relation, though. Okay, good to know. Too much information, but very good to know. <laughs> Better Call Saul, Bodyguard, Game of Thrones, Killing Eve, Ozark, Pose, Succession, and This Is Us. Oh, it's a tough category. Pose, also amazing. And so I have to go mm. with yes. Killing Eve. Killing Eve. Oh, man. Oh. He stole mine. That was supposed to be. Carol's going with that, too, okay? All right. Can I? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm going with succession. I want to change my category, not only because I don't want to be on the same one as Carol, because she'll win, and then <laughs> I want to go with succession. I want to be on the same wait, one. Wait, you just stole <laughs> <laughs> That's a half point. <laughs> no, I just you, like you it. You made your first picks. We're, okay, we're moving on. Limited we're writing in can pen, I, not pencil. Can You're I, screwed. Oh, third, darn. third category here, limited series. Chernobyl on HBO, Escape at Dannemora on Showtime, Fozzie Verdon on FX, which I haven't seen yet, Sharp Objects on HBO, and When They See Us on Netflix. Oh, man. Such a tough category because it's going to come down to two of them in this category, both of which deserve to win. I hope it's a tie between Chernobyl and When They See Us. And Mm -hmm. I'd be hard. I'm going to say When They See Us. I'm going to go with Chernobyl. What? Carol, both you're going first on the next one. Okay. Um, well, I have to do um, when they see us. I I watched it and I, I just can't. I remember I texted you, Robert. I was like, That's I, right. I can't. I have to watch. <laughs> I always it thought again. Carol had. And There's great, so much good stuff. I will yeah. say. I, oh, I didn't give my pick oh. for drama. Better Call Saul is my pick for drama. Okay. Okay. Uh, limited series. It's gonna be Chernobyl. Come on, you guys. It's obviously gonna be Chernobyl. Yeah. Did oh. you pick okay. comedy? I'm, uh, yes, Veep. Chernobyl, oh, right. the comedy. Mm. It's all in the series. All right, series. so those are the main shows out of the way. We have four categories for music now, um, and they are documentary, uh, series, so that's drama and comedy together, then limited series, and then main title theme music. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll go into the, the documentary category first because there's a lot of strong documentaries. A couple of these are uh, Netflix um, but our options here for documentary are Free Solo. It's Marco Beltrami and Brandon Roberts. Game of Thrones, The Last Watch. This is the documentary they did after the week after uh, the final episode by Hannah Peel. Uh, Hostile Planet, Benjamin Walfish. Love Gilda, Miriam Cutler. Our Planet, Stephen Price. And RBG, Miriam Cutler. Carol. I'm going to go with Ben Walfish. Hostile Planet. Oh, that's a good love pick. Love that. Love, love it. Robert. What was the first one? Free Solo. That's me. Marco Beltrami, Free Solo. That's my vote. All right. And Kenny. Well, I'll stray away. I don't want to piggyback. So I'll take uh, my man, Stephen Price, mm. member of Our uh, friend of the show. Friend nice. of the show, Stephen Price. <laughs> friend strong of the show. contender. I got to go Very with strong. Benjamin Walfish. Uh, also friend of the show. Also yeah. friend of the show. 
Wow. Um, all right. Music. In, so uh, three categories to go. Music in a series. This is the big composing award. Um, so our, our uh, nominees here, there's five of them. Barry, David Wingo, mm. Game of Thrones, Ramin Javadi, mm. The Handmaid's Tale, Adam Taylor. Love it. House of Cards, Jeff Beal. Great. This is us, Siddhartha Kosla. <laughs> I'm going to go with home field advantage here since we're sitting right in many rooms music uh, among the House of Cards Emmys. Uh-huh. I'm going with Jeff Beal. Robert, you go first. Jeff Beal. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> this... Oh He's going to take it home for House of Cards. You're playing footsie okay, with I, me, Robert. Just, I know. It's, it's I'll because go with okay. Ramin, 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 Ramin Javadi. Ramin, yeah. um, okay, that's a good... Uh, you know, I'm the only one that came to this having written down my choices already, and I chose Jeff Beal. And then you guys get here, and you both say Jeff Beal. <laughs> exactly. So now i got to call an audible last minute. I'm going to say Adam Taylor, The Handmaid's Tale. Are you hearing this, Jeff? He just changed his mind. <laughs> That's a strong strong contender. <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> no bribe for you. Uh, all right, Music in a Limited series. Um, our, our nominees here are Chernobyl. That's Hilder. Um, just from a couple episodes ago, a few episodes ago. Friend of the show. Escape at Danamora, Edward Shearmer. Uh, Good Omens, David Arnold, True Detective, T-Bone Burnett, and Kifus Siancha. And When They See Us, Chris Bowers. Robert Kraft. I'm going for, I'm splitting my vote half each. Chris Bowers and Hilder. You can't Good do that. Good nut, <laughs> Okay, then I'm abstaining. <laughs> I love them both, and I love both scores. You got to pick one. There shouldn't be, okay, then I'm picking somebody else. Um, <laughs> I think I'm picking Chris Bowers. Ooh, okay. Hilder Gustana Dotti. Oh, is that how that, you say that sounds Gustana Dotti? Yeah. I'm going with Hilder as well, and I think really why I think that one is going to win is because of how much press it got for the unique right. approach, right? Um, with with her and. Uh, Chris Watson. Chris Watson, who we, we just had on a bonus You know what episode. I'm going to... Uh, I'll say, I don't know that that's necessarily the best use of music in any of these limited series, but it's the one that was the best storytelling. And mm-hmm. ultimately, that's what a lot of composers will say this. Uh, that's what music comes down to is storytelling and how it reinforces what is going on. So I think Chernobyl is just going to sweep. That's my pick for this too. Hilder, um, the last category we have here to power through were six categories in and this last one is main title theme music Woo-hoo! <laughs> uh chris beck is not one of the uh <laughs> okay not just checking. he's he settled down chris uh, castle rock uh which is a main title by thomas newman mm. uh crazy ex-girlfriend rachel bloom jack dolman um adam schlesinger uh good omens david arnold our planet steven price and succession, Nicholas Brittell. I've been spewing about this since uh, yeah, I July got 2018, and um, I don't, I don't change my answer. Nicholas Brittell <laughs> is running away with it. Which, by the way, the album came out finally and last month, and uh, I'm obsessed with it. Okay, Kenny's going with Succession. Robert, the soundtrack, the score, I should say. Nicholas Brittell, <laughs> Succession, the winner. All right. Carol, what do you think? Hmm. 
Matt, why don't you go first? Okay. <laughs> You're Ooh. always going last. All right. My pick is Good Omens. Whoa. David Arnold. It's a great, great opening theme. Nice. Hmm, I'm going to go with Tom Newman for Castle Rock. Oh. That is a good theme. That show, I, I kind of lost interest after about six episodes, but I was but really into title. it for a while. But the main title is great. And and the music's awesome, too. Yeah. And I think he didn't score the show, though. Right. I don't think. Um, No, I, I don't think he did either. He only did a couple couple little sequences and then someone else took over. So those are our picks and we'll see uh, after the Emmy. Now they're split up. So we have the creative arts Emmys. They're coming up first on, they announce them on the 15th and then they're airing a broadcast the following Saturday, which is the night before the Emmys. Now, do you guys want me to step out of the room while you decide what prize to give me? I mean, I don't want you to, you know, you might want to. Well, you picked all my answers, so I don't know how you're getting a prize. Because my predictive abilities. Well, I'm excited. (laughs) I'm excited for Robert to be wrong after that hubris that we just experienced. It's going to be so cool when you guys say, wow, how did he just, he feels it. He he, he gets it. All right, we're confident. Yep. Well, this is going to be fun. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're joined by Emmy nominee and five-time Emmy winner, House of Cards composer. Maybe six. Jeff Beal's coming in right after the break. Hey, guys, Robert Kraft, and I'm inviting you to check us out on Twitter for the latest from the show, giveaways for Name That Score, videos, maybe even a new track from that pop superstar, Jordan Bieber. Check out our handle on Twitter, at ScoreThePodcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Giorgio Moroder. You're listening to Score the Podcast. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Score the Podcast, presented by Spitfire Audio. We're here inside many rooms, music studios, with our guest this week. He's currently Emmy-nominated. He already has five. Jeff Beal joining us on the show today. Jeff, thanks for that. Thank you. And and welcome to our studio audience as well. Mm -hmm. Now, that studio audience, you know, they're... I keep them They fill many rooms. I like that. They do. And uh, (laughs) it's it's expensive to keep them all fed, which drives up the (laughs) price. That's most of the budget of the show. But uh, it's worth catering. And they were so excited to hear that you were coming on the show this week. It's my great pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, So exciting time. And um, so we're about a week out from from the show. Uh, Are the Uh, nerves cranking? I mean, you know, uh, an award show is is manufactured suspense. But you, you sit in that audience waiting for your name to be called or not called. And I've had both experiences. And you get a little excited. It's fun, you know. I bet. Do you um, feel that you're a lock this year? No. no. Oh, I think Come on, so. Game of Thrones. Listen, I, as Game I said of Thrones. to you. Game Thrones. Ramin, don't you think he has Ramin, enough? He's got. Listen, I, I, I would love, if, if I win, it will be really special because I'm so proud of the, the legacy of this music and the way we had our, and, and our show was so uncomfortable that it would really be nice to have the last thing that happens relating to me and this music to be 
something so great. And that might happen. So we'll see. Biggest question. From your lips. Do you have your tuxedo ready to I rock? A, I have a new one. My wife bought oh. me. This is a funny story. Um, as a side, uh, I, about I did a lot of this younger in my career, but about the past four or five years, I've been really active doing commissions and concert pieces, which has been really fun. And also the other stuff which we know about, which is the live to picture things. I had a house of cards and concert thing. But long story short, I had this um, piece commissioned by <clears throat> the royal family of Qatar to, for their new beautiful museum. And so I was there conducting, and it was wow. a very, it was a total black tie affair. And it was like all the people the, the, from the art world, Jeff Koons, and all these people, and it was really fun. So I have a new tuxedo that I'm going to be rocking this year yeah i, th- I think that yeah. when you win the first <laughs> thing you should say is aren't i styling okay i think that's it yeah can you say that first <laughs> um i didn't know you had a live to picture house of cards how do you do a tv that's a great episode, question so not a whole film yeah i mean you, it's you, in a sense easier with the film you you strip out the music and you, you, and it's dead. also a whole 90-minute concert yeah. or two-hour concert. It was actually really fun because, and I haven't seen Ramin show, I hope to see it. He's going to do Game of Thrones at the Hollywood Bowl this fall, I believe. But, you know, basically it's much more of like a, an assemblage of the show, and, and it's not linear, but I created what I call the House of Cards Symphony, and it's ten movements. We split it up into two halves, and they're around different themes. There's a movement called Russia, which tells with our whole big Russia storyline in season three. There's a obviously a big Frank and Claire uh, movement um, there's um, dignity and all these things so I and, and for those movements I would t- take collate some of the themes that I thought were really representative of that theme or that idea in the show and then I'm a little geeky you can see from my studio there's not a lot of people running around I run all this equipment when I can and so I actually did all the video editing too after I'd created the symphony I took each movement and I had a in my mind what I thought the <clears throat> visual choreographer would be so I would create I created the visual choreography based on clips some of these clips would have dialogue, some of them wouldn't have dialogue, which was fun because, again, it's a concert. So it, what it, I'm very proud of this concert, and I hope I can do it again and someday. Maybe enough time will pass that I can reinvent it or do the final version of it that includes the final season. But um, it was really fun because, you know, we premiered it at the Kennedy Center about three years ago. Mm. I conducted it at the Concertabau. So if, I could t- if I've told you that this show for a streaming network, that, which at the time I thought, who's even going to watch this? That if I told you this show for a streaming network took me to so many amazing places in my life and and it really connected me back to my first love you know being a jazz trumpet player and a musician my favorite part of my job is when i get together with an orchestra and make that music to me that's like it's the magical part of the experience but i realized i missed the communal part of it you know we're so lucky we sit in our dark rooms and millions of people hear what we do but that energy you get from actually being in a room in a concert hall and having an audience respond to you and feeling them in the room, that's just a thrill, and I, I really, I'm really loving that. I have a question about something you just said, which is the editing of the clips. Mm. Because um, <coughs> I occasionally teach perspiring film music students at yes. different colleges and different extension schools that are interested in it, I'll go teach. And one of the things I use, and I may owe you a royalty, we can discuss this afterwards, is the House of Cards intro sequence. Mm. Because I show the the students how this piece of music, which I believe we have here, is edited very rhythmically. Whoosh! Yes, you know, things rush past in time. Yeah, it's a, work, it's a film in itself. And, yeah, it's a and, mini movie, really. And I always want the students to watch how the music editor on those drum beats 
you know, there'll be a shot of Washington, D.C. Yeah. or a pan up the Washington Monument. Oh, it's such a beautiful theme. All the time yeah. lapses. So yeah. I wondered, um, it's one of my favorites. It really is. And it's interesting that you're a trumpeter because that trumpet is so signature. And those dissonances are so signature yeah. because they don't resolve. <laughs> those wrong notes. Wow, Robert they're wrong really until they right. become right. They're right. And in fact, if you, I, sometimes when I demonstrate this piece of music, I play the piano and correct all the right notes and it sounds wrong. So your ears are... Ah. It's, it, they just hang into the next measure. Yeah, they're like little suspensions, major, minor. But my question was really, did you have suggestions for the edits? Did a music editor come in and say, I'm going to take the rhythmic parts of this and cut to it? Because it's a fabulous example of music and picture. Oh, thank you. And actually, the arrangement is pretty much what I created. Um, so I wrote that arrangement. I had written the theme as a sketch for David even before he started shooting, which I can share with you later. It might be fun to put in the background somewhere so you can hear the original. Um, so I had written that arrangement, but really they cut the picture to the music. So I really give the credit to the picture editors with having this set piece of music, the set tempo. And it, 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 they fine-tuned it as, as, as we sort of ping-ponged it back and forth, which is another fascinating thing. I just had a meeting on a new project this morning with some filmmakers, and we were talking about... The way in which the digital tools as a composer and as a picture editor enable us to really have this dialogue where it's not a big deal, like you say, to snip something out or even to speed something out, even if you've already recorded it. This idea that the, the music is not simply the very last thing that you do because you can't afford to re-record it and then you're cutting a negative and all these analog workflows, things, which was everything was regimented. I love the fact that as a, being a composer now means that, like Casa Cars is a great example, I'm, I'm actually sending sketches to the filmmaker. Even, even David Fincher had literally not sent him a frame, and I sent him these four demos. And then, of course, when, when this scene came back to me, I, didn't want, I never label, I didn't label them, I just like one, two, three, four. When the pilot came back to me the next time, they had put my sketch in there. And I thought, good. I'm, I, thought, I always thought that, was, that might be the one, you know, and, it, and I might have had to write another one, but that was it. And then, of course, I, the arrangement grew much beyond a, a sketchy, a, a very skeletal demo. But they used that original music to kind of create their, their first versions of the edit. Exactly, exactly. And, and I, wrote my, I wrote my first version of the music, not based on picture, because obviously it didn't exist, I, but on Bo Willman's script, there's a little description of what the main title sequence is, which is great. So it's actually from the written page. That, and David and this first meeting with David Fincher that the piece of music was initially created. So you're essentially the first shots of a scene sometimes. I love this. It's rare, and I, I did it in subsequent seasons um, when I knew what the sort of Bible of that season was going to be, especially seasons two and three and even four. I would sort of enjoy, even before picture came in, just conceptually thinking, let me write some music. And as a film composer, it's a really liberating thing because once the picture's up, we're, I wouldn't say we're slaves to it, but we're very much serving it. It's giving us a tempo. It's giving a rhythm. It's showing us where all the dramatic beats are. If you take yourself away from that, you think more just in pure musical terms, structural terms. And sometimes I find, for my musical brain, <clears throat> I'm able to slightly skew the way a piece of music is so just being formed. It's a different process. A little more like songwriting, really. I like the... the Sticking with House of Cards for a minute, one of the things I ask the students to always look at is that the palette of instruments for a, for a, for a real, what is it, one minute? Yeah, but 90 seconds. 90 yeah. second yeah. intro, it's orchestral, it's the percussive elements, yeah. there's a solo trumpet, there's an old 
kind of a good, I don't electric know if it's guitar. a sample, but it's the sample, electric guitar yeah. kind of distorted. Yeah. yeah. So I thought it really shows that first the vocabulary that you can use as a composer is unlimited. And um, it's just, it's a really wonderful theme. It, it, I just, I hope you'll remember the little people when you win. <laughs> you'll, you'll I'm, I'm curious when you were creating this, because there's a ton of shows based in D.C. and yeah. on politics, <laughs> and you're known for these smaller sounds. You don't use the big orchestras. Yeah. It, is it like you're, you're, you stick to kind of the more of the chamber orchestra? Yeah, it's, I think it's a personal preference. I'm just, I was never a fan. <clears throat> and, of course, I have not been... They don't call me for the big $100 million Marvel movies. Maybe they will someday, but <laughs> I've been, my brand and my, 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 my talents have seemed to found their, their, their home in these sort of character driven, actor driven or story driven pieces. They're big or small screen, but they're a little more chambery in terms of their mm-hmm. feel. House of Cards is a great example. I mean, really it's, it's six or seven lead actors, not a lot of visual candy, people, a lot of people talking, and then the story happens on this metaphorical Shakespearean level where a lot of what's really interesting about that's going on, you're never seeing it visually. It's, it's theater of the mind in a way. It's almost like a radio play. I mean, Bo Willems' writing, writing has this wonderful sense of poetry to it. Um, <clears throat> so that's, that's probably one, one, one aspect. I did have a lot of fun. Unfortunately, the film that went nowhere, but I did a f- really fun. Last year, I did this film for George Gallo about the guys who started the bodybuilding movement, the, we- the Weeder Brothers, I think is their name, called Bigger. And that one, I really got to go whole hog, especially in the main title. I got to write sort of my, my Bill Conti, Rocky theme, you know, which nice. was really fun because I love that. I did a, I did a documentary about uh, the Boston Marathon and recorded with the Boston Symphony. So occasionally, I can kind of, I, I, go, I go for a little more sweep. Um, but but I think it's it's almost like throwing everything at the screen. I think it's a little more. I, I I think I've differentiated my own musical instincts and impulses through more specific choices hmm. and more more uh, chamber. Uh, chamber is a good word. Whatever you call that thing, it's it's even funny because I'm doing a lot of orchestral commissions now, and a lot of the orchestra writing I'm doing. I tend not to use. I tend not to write. Think of a piece for a hundred piece orchestra. I think of it more for like a chamber size symphony. It's so just interesting a, and lovely that you maybe found. It's like a sculptor who finds a certain material, even if they can do huge pieces, yeah. they like a certain kind of piece. And I wonder if, first of all, of course, the orchestral part. I imagine at Eastman where you went. Yes, uh, you learned the orchestral elements. Yeah, even though uh, you were a jazzer. I was, although you couldn't major in jazz, so I was really a classical trumpet major at Eastman. Fantastic. You hear actually the classical trumpet in House of Cards, of course. Absolutely. And um, I always liked, I heard one thing you said, you mentioned it today a little bit, but you said that the collaboration of a composer with the other collaborators on the film, the writer, director, was like a jazz band. Absolutely. And I've, I've never heard that. I kind of <laughs> love it that you well, improvise and yeah. listen to the other players. Absolutely. It's all about listening. And that was really, you know, my gateway drug into music was I started on trumpet at a very young age. But when I started improvising, I was like, oh, my God, this is it. This is the magic. It's spontaneous creativity. We're listening. We're reacting. And that's so much what film is. Cinema is this intensely collaborative form where what you're doing as, as a member of that band is totally dependent and responsive to everybody else in the room. It doesn't fantastic. mean... Fantastic. 
you know, so there you go. But when, at Eastman, do they let you improvise? A lot of those classical, you know, the long <laughs> that, hair joints. I know. They don't like it when you stretch it. That's up. why I went there, and that's why we actually gave a gift to endow a film music program there a few years ago, which I'm really proud about that, too. But even then, they had part of the reason I chose Eastman is a wonderful Juilliard-level conservatory, which at that time, the only one really, only the only other games in town were Berkeley and New England Conservatory, really, that were on my radar. But Eastman also had this wonderful jazz program. And this guy, Ray Wright, who ran it, who used to be the head arranger and composer at Radio City Music Hall. And, huh. and I said, this, 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 I just, I, it was, it was, I just felt like based on other players I knew, like they had the Eastman a place to go. So that's where I ended up. Did you do both simultaneously, jazz and I did. classic? I did. You know, I never get credit for it. But basically, I, I had a four-year program where I did cl- classical trumpet as a major. I played in all the jazz bands, Eastman Jazz Ensemble. I wrote for them all the time, starting with freshman year. I actually did a semester as a double comp major with Christopher Rouse, wonderful mm. composer. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, in that first year at Eastman, I felt like I just like this is too much. I can't do three. I can do two well, and I and I was much more pulled like a magnet to what Ray Wright was into, which was the studio arranging, studio orchestra, big band, and film music. I thought that feels like a little more like where I'm going right now. And at the time, this is the mid '80s. Concert music was sort of in this ghetto of post-serialism, very formal. And I felt like the concert music has opened up way much more. I mean, we've got John Adams and Philip Glass and the tonality has re-entered the concert hall. But at the time, I felt like the kind of instincts I had as a concert composer were not going to flourish in, in, in the department that was the Eastman Composition Department of 1985. It's actually a nice moral to the story because Christopher Rouse I know he was really high and heartbroken when I said you know I can't do this and we're good friends I'm actually going to give a master class for him at, at Juilliard next month and it's nice to reconnect with those people there's some other people like John Carigliano was a huge uh, champion and encourager of me to, to when I said you know I'm thinking about writing some concert music he goes yeah you should do that you know so part of the <clears throat> validation <laughs> I felt, and it's 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 indicative of what's happened to the film music world. Is is people are this this in, this artificial wall between high art and low art is is beautifully disappearing, which I think it should just it should never have existed in the first place. And this the only the only arbiter should be is how excellent is it, how great is it? If you if you write really good music, well then you should be able to write for a concert hall or a film score or whatever. And of course. I'm sure many people on your show have said this. Well, if Mozart, Mozart and Beethoven and Brahms and Mahler were living around now, what would they be doing? Probably some of that day would be involved writing film scores. When Gust- did you, Gustav when, Mahler does Iron Man. <laughs> I was just going to say, Pitch so that. when you got out of conservatory, when did you start shifting into film scoring? Was there something that pushed you over, or did you realize that there wasn't a career there for you in in concerts or what, um, what was it was more about there? the trumpet at that age so I was never I never had aspirations for a concert composing career I did have aspirations maybe for a media music career which at that time was really we didn't have something called media it was film and tv really right this is like 1989 when I grew up when I graduated or night or no I'm sorry 1985 86 um but I was really a jazz trumpet player I mean I traded solos with Marcellus in my senior year on the Eastman stage and we like shredded you know i mean i was like really a hot jazz trumpet player so i the other idea i was like i'm just going to be like a try to be a solo artist and i did do that for several years i made several jazz trumpet records for island records and then triloka concurrently with that ironically enough in the town of rochester new york which is not a big town but this was the mid 80s which was the first 
wonderful blooming of independent independent film. Like you had guys like Jim Jarmusch and all these filmmakers making uh, indie film. And it was like there was a... And so through those people, I actually met these guys who were making their first little indie movie. They raised the money in upstate New York called Cheap Shots, starring Louis Zorich. And that was my first film. It took a few years for them to get the money raised. But by the time my wife and I were living in San Francisco and Joan was at the San Francisco Opera Chorus, this film came in. And so I wrote my first theme. And I went, I remember sitting on a dub stage hearing a film score. And it's like, this is really cool. I yeah. love, love, love this. It was like, oh, this is it. It's, it's everything I... And you know what it is? It's storytelling. I mean, even when I talk to classical musicians or I talk to anybody about what we do, like what makes music so amazing, it's that it... It, I, 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 for me, my, my whole reason for doing it, what I love about it is the way it can tell a story and it can emotionally narrate something, whether that's abstract or concrete or on the screen or in the concert hall, that, 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 that nonverbal, magical, mystical language, I think it actually connects back way to our ancient, ancient roots as, as hominoids, whatever we were, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's the old men in the cave with the campfire and the cave paintings. It's like... It's that first instinct for communication, and and music is just this magical, magical art form. Did you seek that out though? Was this these guys found out you were a musician? You're yeah. Like, hey, I'll score your film, and then all of a sudden you fell in love with it and moved I forward. Was, I was very lucky, and 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 as I said before, you know, by my senior year at Eastman, again, this is all non credited, but I took Ray Wright's film scoring class, and I really loved that, and. And I did some student films for my student recital. So one, there was a guy there who was a graduate of the school, Ned Corman, who's still a dear friend and was really one of the first mentors who sort of said, hey, kid, do this, do that. And he commissioned some of my first music. I first piece of published music was a big band chart I wrote for him. And and, and nice uh, nice credit to him as he introduced me to these guys, knowing what my skill set was and my composition. Cheap shots? Cheap shots. Guys? Yeah. 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 And they were from Rochester? Yes, they were. Yeah. But that's a... You know, there's, a, I think, a leap here that it's almost the first leap is from zero to one. Okay, yeah. you've got a film. Yeah. Now you're in San Francisco with one indie film out. Yeah. How do you become Jeff Beale from there? Yeah. I, he was I, already Jeff Beale. Well, I know. Right. Jeff Beale, comma, the Jeff composer. Beale, we all know. It yeah. was, you know, it's funny. I did, did some, answered some questions for Leonard Slatkin, who uh, conducted a piece of mine. Uh, last couple months ago and one of the questions was for this book that he's doing was did you ever think of giving up and the answer was yes <laughs> a couple times this is not an easy business to get started and when you're starting out the amount of self-confidence you have that that it's even a viable thing to create is is really sort of irrational and thank god for the for the for the insanity of youth because if we were older and wiser nobody would do it right but but you know you kind of follow the breadcrumbs and that's what i've always done I, I, there's a, always a great grand plan if you look at it in the rearview mirror, but living forward, it's improvised. Everything is an improvisation, you know. I mean, I, I happened to be in San Francisco. Um, my wife got a job at the San Francisco Opera Course. There was a guy there who had a TV show for NBC called Unsolved Mysteries, and I heard that he was looking for ghostwriters. So I just said, "Hey, Gary," and he became another great friend and mentor. And I got to have my first wrote some TV music. And it was Did you great, write the theme to that? Show? No, not at all. But oh, okay. I, and I will never forget the first music I ever had on TV. It was such a thrill. I mean, you can imagine, this is like 1980, I don't know, seven or 88. or No, I think it was 89, actually, because we were living in San Francisco by then. But, you know, the first story I ever got to score was the Roswell UFO 
Ooh, thing. Area Robert, 51. Yeah, with Robert Stack in the, in the, in the trench coat. And maybe that was the precursor to... It's interesting when you look at your life and the little things like that was like it's the precursor to like uh, conspiracy and, and weird shit like House of Cars or something. When I look back on Cheap Shots, and I think it's on my website, if you go back and listen to the Cheap Shots score, people that know my music from Monk, eight seasons of that show, will recognize the sort of gumshoe, jazz noir thing. One of my most <clears throat> favorite... Um, Evolutions and, and accidents happened through the time in San Francisco uh, is that I became really good friends with a John Patitucci, a wonderful jazz bass player. The best. Amazing. Incredible. Patitucci. Pat, you know him. Right? Of He's course. He's been playing a gazillion films for you, I'm sure. And um, he loved my music. And he said, you know, I really want a bass concerto. Huh. And I thought, wow, that's a really cool idea because he was just playing this six-string bass, which not a lot of guys had. And he said, yeah, I want like, so I, saw, I basically wrote, I said, you know what? I'm like, nothing's happening yet. I don't know where the career's going. I wrote him a bass concerto. And again, if you people want to do the deep dive and go to my list, website and listen to that music that I wrote in 1989, which then got the attention of Chick Corea, and we came down and recorded it and Matt Hatter and really precipitated the move to L.A., realizing that that was the next step. But the music that I sort of was inventing at the time, I was really interested in minimalism, but minimalism with a bit of Americana kind of a vibe behind it because I'm not a really dark New York cool person i'm much more into warmth and expansive i mean i'm a kid that grew up in california and our family mythology was all about the the west you know so so really when you fast forward from the bass concerto into the music i did for ed harris's pollock there's a real there's an obvious connection between that that thing and i was really really proud of that score i mean that score after moving to los angeles which i credit my good friend mark eicham for recommending me for by the way mark Mm. was a fellow jazz trumpet player and we sort of struck up a friendship on that level and Ed Harris at the time thinking he wanted a jazz trumpet score was the one that initially re- recommended me for Paulette because Mark was going on tour with his band. Thank God, Mark. <laughs> but that was a huge break because that, that movie got noticed. The that was the, got your noticed. first big, that was a big Hollywood break. splash, Absolutely. Right? You know, that just changed the whole game. I and mean, Mark was, was a real good mentor and he was championing me. But really that got me my really HBO. That's when they came to me for Carnival and kind of you can follow the breadcrumbs through a lot of things. Through it's that. interesting you said that you weren't a New York dark <laughs> But Pollock is, you know, in some ways exemplifies yeah. a certain attitude and a certain kind of artist. Absolutely. In fact, um, I think one of the, pro- and I was the third composer on the film, and I think oh. one of the things that Ed realized if, um, is that the film could not completely just echo the manic, depressive, alcoholic. It had to be, there had to be a counterbalance to that dramaturgically. Mm. So, yes, we had our strung out, drunk, um, depressed music in Pollock, but also we had this, what I would call effervescent, effervescent bipolar side of the, the manic side of that, which was this really beautiful, uh, incredibly rhythmic music and energetic. And um, it was almost like uh, John Adams meets Aaron Copeland is how I describe it. Nice. And so that was a dramatic need that Ed, uh, he heard something in my music and, and, and that, that was really, important to the film it's in it's a really good case study in in the white and white problem of film scoring often you look at a film or a story and sometimes the really interesting musical choice is not what's obvious or not what you're already seeing but it's what it's not being seen or not talked about that's why the composer's there i think absolutely to to supply this kind of under the radar emotional content yeah you mentioned monk and um, I was researching 
your history, and I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know this. Well, this is a good story. I and know where this, this is going. This is this is a really bizarre story because I don't, I couldn't find another mm. example of this happening before. But you got on Monk shortly after Pollock, right? Yes, that was yeah. And you you did this fantastic theme music, which we'll play a click here, a clip. Emmy winning, yes, main title theme, and then the show comes back for season two. And your theme gets replaced with the Randy Newman song. Yeah, how about that, huh? And so I'm curious, in your in your young kind of blossoming Hollywood career, what what was going through your mind to win an Emmy and then have it oh, replaced? Gosh. It was it was so funny. I'll, the chronology is even funnier than you told it, believe it or not, because um, I thought I'd finally I got the golden ticket, man. I got a great the show's a hit. Tony Shalhoub's brilliant. I got the theme. People love it. People love the music. And then my agent called at the time, said, "You know what? The the producers are not happy. They want a, a new theme song." And so they, oh, really, and I felt and oh, they they I'm not sure they want to keep you doing the score either. So I was actually fired off the show. Oh. So at the time I was nominated. Okay, all of this had already been decided, and and um. And so fans got, and then that show started airing and fans got really mad. They actually started a petition about the theme music and they really missed it. And it was really a great lesson for me about no press. No, all press can be good press. Uh, And this was a case where I thought it was embarrassing. I was so full of shame and rage about it. People love the music. So I actually got to, I got the support of the fans. Of course it went on. I won the Emmy. They hired me back on the show, which I lobbied for because I said, listen, I'd love to come back. I mean, Randy's great. I love Randy. I mean, I still wish it was my theme, of course, but, you know, whatever. Uh, so I went, went back and did eight years. The f- and, and then the, the most ironic part of this whole story, though, is there's a guy. This is the early days of the Internet. This is like, I don't know, 1990-something, right? AOL days, right? And he started this petition. Shortly after I came back in season two, there's an actually episode of Monk called Mr. Monk and the TV Star. Mm-hmm. Sarah Silvan, do you know about this? Sarah Silvan pay, plays a fictitious <coughs> fan of a TV show that has changed her theme song, and she's going around with the petition. So literally what had happened to me, the show, the, the writers had this great sense of humor about what they'd done, which was basically their way of saying, we've effed up here, you know, this, you know, <laughs> right. and it was great. So we all just laughed about it, and it was... Um, it was, you know, that's, that's, that's the way it goes, man. The cookie crumbles in Hollywood. I mean, I try to, I always try to like help young composers when they get their first big rejection or setback or get fired. It's like, listen, that's, you know, well, you got your stripes, dude. You know, Isn't that with Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah. I think, I think he's the one that's been attributed to a lot of people who said, you're not a real composer until you've, you've been, been fired. fired. Yeah. God bless Jerry. <laughs> God bless him. I'm yeah. always curious. I mean, I love that theme and I like the fact that it's kind of, I don't know, Charlie Christian meets Django. Yeah, well, right. they, Django. they kept it for the end credits. Right? Yeah, it was occasionally used for end titles, and I quoted it quite often in my score as a sort of... Kind of the Count Basie four, yeah. you know, Four on the note, floor, right? yeah, exactly. So, but yeah. I always thought, and it's my jazz background, was it tempting for you to write... You know, a kind of monk, yes. monk oh, yeah. piano theme. Yeah. You're a jazzer. It's called Monk. Yeah. How can you not write Round Midnight or... I wrote a lot of sketches, and I'll bet you if I go back to those sketches, I haven't listened to them in years, I'm sure there's some of those that really use the Thelonious Monk um, tonality. And the irony is that even though I didn't, it, never got so, it never got bought as the theme music, they... They, the, the, the temp was some sort of Django thing, and I just finally said, oh, okay, let me nice. write my version of that um, and made it my own, of course. But um, 
in the underscore, I used a lot of that. So really the underscore was where I got to do the whole tone, MJQ, modern jazz quartet kind of gumshoe. Yeah. That's where all that, all that went. And it was yep. a great, it was a great inside joke, of course, for musicians. Yeah. Let's oh. do, um, take a break. Yeah, we'll take a break. We're going to come back and talk documentaries and we're also going to play name that score, the return with Matt Schrader oh. here today. Oh, wow. I'm going to fail. What? Is that, I know I'm going to fail. Is that why the crowds have gathered outside the yeah, studio? Yeah, it's been crazy. Because <laughs> they've heard yeah. that name that score. See, so you hear the audience right now? They're See how excited they are? Yeah. That was just Carol going woo. <laughs> oh. We'll be right back. Hi, Film Score fans. Matt Schrader here from Score the Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, tell a friend. We're working to bring you the best guests possible from the music of the screen. Thanks for telling a friend and supporting Score. Welcome back to Score the Podcast, presented by Spitfire Audio. And uh, Jeff mentioned his sketch of the House of Cards theme, and we didn't want to wait, so we got it <laughs> during the break. So you're hearing, what, how early was this? This was, uh, I guess, bef- a couple months before David started shooting the first episode. And um, I had met with him, we had a great meeting. Uh, I'd worked with him once on a Super Bowl commercial, my agent called me after I got back to the meeting. You know, David would love to get some music before he starts shooting. And I also thought this is probably like led me a little audition, which I was fine with. I was like, listen, it's David Fincher, man. It's like, yeah, want to be happy, you know. So I wrote four things, and uh, this was one of them, which you probably recognize. This, this file is called Sketch 2. Was there a Sketch 1? <clears throat> there is, and I don't like to name them when I give them to somebody because yep. I don't like to even give them a word to tell them what this is, which was somebody like David Fincher. Like, right. Let him pick. He's David yeah. Fincher. He's music, very musically literate. So it's Ooh, actually a that piano right there. Yeah, it's an awesome demo, Thank and you. of course you hear where it goes to and all the fabulousness of, but the tempo's there and the vibe, yeah. vibe is there, and then it very just similar. gets better. I can't think of a higher compliment, frankly, than David Fincher electing. There's that. That's a, yeah. This that's is just an a little, advanced chord. I was thinking about the darkness of the show. I had written. I'd read four scripts, so I loved the fact that this this was really inspired by the printed page. Those are some graduate department <laughs> chords. Is there. this the first time? PG thirteen harmony, huh? Is this the first time the the public is hearing this? Yes, I've I've done. I've shared it in a few. <laughs> yeah, um, news flash. A few flash. master classes, but this but is the first time it's been released in the wild. Fincher's. Oh, I think this is now a kind of combination um, that was the remix should i get my trumpet out and play along <laughs> oh please okay i think we'll do that, that later that fincher's selection of music for films yeah you know, um, he's brilliant That's I, you know i had the great privilege of working with him on fight club and he came <sighs> to me and said i want to use the dust brothers yeah to which i said no really who, out who, who, what composer too. do you want to use for your movie yeah and he said Let's go visit the Dust Brothers together. I think they should score this movie. And I, as I was nervous because of course you were. You know that my, not film my, composers, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. My gig was to get film composers yeah. with great yeah. credits to do major motion pictures. And this is a picture with Brad, Brad Pitt, Pitt yeah. and uh, Ed Norton and yeah, hello Meatloaf, uh, Helena Bonham Carter, and a yeah. big movie with David yeah. Fincher and. The Dust Brothers, I don't think they'd scored a film, and yet, P.S., I won't tell you all the intricacies, but the score is remarkable. It's super interesting, and David Fincher was right, cut to, 
social network, yeah. he says, I want to try Trent Reznor. Yeah, bingo. And right. I thought, boy, once again, uh, we're, we we're at that place. But now it's Fincher knows what he's doing, yeah. what he listens to. And he him. also has a very, I don't know if he did it with House of Cards, but certainly on Fight Club, and I know that Trent has talked a lot about social network, how David would have big suites of music. Yeah. Recorded. <laughs> right. yeah. Put you your lips right on the thing, right and then it'll the work. There's a beautiful reverb in this room, of. but uh, <laughs> go ahead and get up on the mic. David would have big yards worth of music recorded that he could then Collate. select yeah. from, as opposed to doing a kind of cue approach. Yeah. Yeah. Go write this so that film composers he chose for his vibe, yeah. he, for the vibe that he wanted the, his film to have. Um, what was your it's, experience like working yeah. with him? Well, I came to David right after the social network, and I think they had just done uh, The Girl with the Dragon Cat Tattoo, which is also a really, I think, why I love that score even better. Trent than and the, Atticus as I, well. That's a great score, even better than I liked uh, as much or more than The Social Network. So I knew that David liked to work this way. So for me, I thought this, this is really fun. I mean, be, again, here's the jazz musician in me. I like this. Like, let's let's play. Let's, like, I, so, so that's, that demo you just heard was that first little thing of like, okay, I'll just send David some music that he's used to doing that with Trent Reznor. And so that was really fun for me as opposed to having a filmmaker say, okay, here's the scenes, right? One, two, three, four. That was never his aesthetic. And even when we were into the nitty gritty of scoring, he used to say, he had a funny way of describing cues when he thought they weren't working. He said, well, it's not just mortar meaning something that holds two bricks together. It needs to be mean more than that. I love that because that's really... Oh, that's cool. That really inspired the whole concept of the score. It's like even if we're only doing a little transition that's maybe 30 seconds, it's not there just to move the show along and pace it up, as they sometimes say cynically. No, like why is the music there? What what bigger theme, story, idea, emotion is present? And that was always what he was pushing me to do. And that's really... I really credit his aesthetic about cinema and film really, really, really encouraging me to go to go there with it. So, so can I ask, the same way that you, you just sent us the file, well, maybe not the exact same technical way, but that's what you did with the same file to David Fincher. Yeah. You it, sent it off and crossed your fingers and yeah. said, let's see what happens. I know, and it was great. He responded very quickly. I'm assuming this is the same day. He was, I can't, I will dig up the email for you, but it was like, these are great, basically. It's like, oh, thank God. Well, it seems like the <laughs> meat of release stuck. It did, you know, and man, I mean, the thing I loved about working with him was like, and, and people are, you know, oh, he does 50 takes and blah, 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 you know, but I'm sorry, you know, he's brilliant. So every time he gave me a note, it made it better. And that's what you always want for in a collaborator. But if it was great, he didn't mess with it. And that's also what you want in a collaborator, mm-hmm. a collaborator who's smart, who makes you better, challenges you. But also gets out of your way. Look at my company here, Kenny yeah. and Matt. I mean, you're with the best. It just it <laughs> levels my game up, and <laughs> I think that your being the choice after Trent Reznor leads me to believe that there may be a kind of Jeff Beal Nine Inch Nails tour in the future. <laughs> Let's what do, do that. <laughs> I'm ready for that. I, you know, I, what's funny? You talk about rock stars. Okay, I'll tell you a funny story. I was just on the Mall, the National Mall in, in Washington D.C. with my wife, and I've. I've done these really cool sort of events, big outdoor projection projects, and 59 Productions was commissioned by the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum to commemorate the 50-year anniversary of the Apollo mission. And this is on YouTube. I encourage people to go watch it because it's really beautiful. Go for the, it's, it's called Go for the Moon. The Saturn rocket was projected onto the Washington Monument. First time oh, we've ever had that. I saw that. We had these two ginormous screens on either side, and it starts with Kennedy's speech. And I'm sitting out on the mall with 
a couple hundred thousand people literally hearing my music blaring and seeing people cheering. And I thought, I joked to my Joan, I said, I said to my wife, okay, this is about as close as I'm ever going to get to be a rock star. But it's really, you know what it is? It's that communal. Let's do the tour. I'm into the tour. That's why I like concerts because, and I think even millennials get this with their phones and everything. It's like, I think part of the reasons concerts are becoming popular, film music concerts are becoming popular is that, we it's the humans we have this human inborn mystical spiritual need to yeah. collectively gather in a room and do something together as opposed to this looking at and looking at your phone so um i think that's that's something i'm very that's why at you know i'm 56 like i don't want to wait till i'm 75 to like i'm going to do concerts now and, and burnish my legacy it's like no i'm in the in the middle of my career i'm going to do it now because it's important and it connects me also makes me a better composer I think it makes me better when I come back to film and it's not just another gig and another set of cues I got to write. I have this experience of being out in the world. Definitely playing live always <laughs> man teaches you things about what the audience feels, how how they respond, so um I w- we wanted to get to your documentaries. Um since Blackfish in 2013, you've scored close to 20 docs. Good lord, is it that many? <laughs> That's um, a lot. That's and and I'm right. just wondering what when the transition occurred where you got drawn to documentaries yeah. or was it just kind of you did one and another yeah. documentary filmmaker was little, like hey we want you to it's well, a little bit of they found me i didn't find them and law of attraction but i believe in that i believe when people see you and they like what you do in a space that means it's probably a good home for you and it's been a great home for me um and i love documentaries i also think like going back to something i was saying earlier about my brand or my what i'm known for i you go to sundance with the documentary i've been there many many times with many films and it, i've been there many times like i'm sure the year i was there with blackfish and had blackfish i would ask people what are you seeing what do you like at this festival whether it's a south by southwest or sundance or tribeca nine times out of ten that person whoever they were a stranger somebody knew they'd say it's a documentary so i think when we look at cinema today i think it is simply one of the most creative exciting areas of filmmaking right now. I mean, technology's lowered the bar to entry. So really you don't have a million, you don't have a gazillion bucks to make a documentary. So the ones that are good that make it out into the world, the only thing that can stand a documentary up and there's filmmaking involved, but you've got to have a great story. And so, you know, any documentary that's recommended to you as a good documentary, that's going to be a really great story because there's not CGI or something else to make it work. And I know, it's real. And I know it's a real. documentary. Yep. I think there's a documentary out there that is yes. as special, <laughs> as unique, and as important. Yes. I think it's called Score. The Story of Film Composers. A film music documentary. Which, <laughs> Absolutely. When we do Score 2, Jeff, we're going to have you include this little bit about how important documentaries are. I would be are. honored. I actually, I've seen, I, I look at your list of documentaries and realize. Have you seen I've, those films? I've seen so many of them. <laughs> One of them, strangely <laughs> enough, I absolutely love, love the music. Wasn't aware until I was looking. Oh, of course, Jeff did that. Queen of Versailles. Oh, isn't that great? Lauren Greenfield, yeah. who uh, I knew and, and. Brilliant. And just an amazing movie. Yeah. What fun to score some of those. I would think, I mean, work is work, but is the process different for you? Uh, I mean, it has to be, I'm sure because it's a real story and real people. Um, but how is it different from scoring? Yeah. I I, my answer on that has evolved and changed over the years. And my answer now is like, it's very little. It's different. The only thing that's different is that, uh, the same thing if you write a fictional film, as a composer, you never want to manipulate an audience with the music, even if it's fiction. What makes good fiction is you believe it's real. There's an area of suspended disbelief, right? Should we wait for that to 
Right. He's getting a documentary job called yeah. an offer. It's another filmmaker's <laughs> five. This is the time of year when all the films that want to get into Sundance are called. It's oh look, you can see it might on be the, my agent. You might. can see on the pad it says Trent Reznor. Maybe you should answer on speaker no. and we can get a breaking no, news. No, it's not job. Trent, oh, okay. Trent Reznor saying I can't <laughs> lead the band for the fall oh, tour. Oh God bless you, man. Thank you. <laughs> I always love you too. Too. Oh. I said, what if you two had it? Sorry. Uh, no message on that one. Dang. Yeah. Oh, well, Bono, we were, we were Bono, calls. Bono just said, ah, Trent uh, must have got him first. That was iRoboCall. <laughs> totally Needing Robo. iRoboCraft. Uh, <laughs> Where were we? We were talking about documentaries. documentaries and how they are both the same and different. And I think Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, okay, and an emotion. Emotion, you always want to earn your emotion legitimately from your audience. So I really approach them the same way. I watch a scene and I write a cue I'm like, am I buying this? Is this real? In the case of a fiction film, it's really important because it's fiction and you want to fool the audience into escaping into the, your story. If it's real, you, bet, you, you better be honest and authentic and believable because this is actually real stuff that happens. So there is a gravitas, I feel, especially when I'm telling a story like The Queen of Versailles or The Biggest Little Farm or Inconvenient Sequel, which was really fun because in that movie, actually, Al Gore himself became a, more of a pr- protagonist. Mm. So I feel this great responsibility to these stories and these things that happened um, and to honor that and to really, um, and I think a documentary film has also exploded because look at what happens to news. I mean, network news and TV news has sort of become much more entertainment. It's not really information anymore. Infotainment. Infotainment, documentary film is really the place where we get to deep dive into something and have authentic reporting, authentic information, whatever. There's also a place for documentaries now. Yes. Like 15, oh, 20 years ago, you had true. to go go to an independent theater or buy it at yeah. Sam Goody or something. Like you Totally. I, and I credit Michael Moore with this a lot because I think, you know, a lot of his films like, like Fahrenheit uh, 9-11 and um, Bowling uh, for Roger Columbine. Me, Bowling for Columbine. Like right. he was one of the first documentary filmmakers, one who broke through commercially. His film became very popular and the, you could go see them in a theater. This is before Netflix and Amazon and I'm moving. But also he was, he was expansive cinematically. I think part of the reasons his films did well is he wasn't afraid to use music. He used music in a very cinematic way. Sometimes they were composed, but often he'd like license Thomas Newman cues or whoever. And you really felt when you were sitting in the movie watching a Michael Moore film, like, oh, this is a movie. I'm like in it. I think you're right. I hadn't really credited him. I always yeah, thought I think that a lot of the served. credit for documentaries becoming popular was Rob Reiner. That documentary on the oh. band Spinal Tap was oh an God. incredible documentary. That, is just brilliant. that band deserves so yes, much. They should have won more Grammys. They, if, I, they should have, and I, I keep waiting for them to. They're in the Hall of Shame, right? Are they in the Hall of Shame? I think <laughs> Rob did an incredible job. You know, I did. A I move, did. I, I did a movie with Rob Reiner, and one of the great joys of my life was having him sitting right out there in front of the orchestra in the press section and saying, can you make it go to 11? And oh, like, I could have died right then. <laughs> let's let's talk about that, because you just said the orchestra right out there. So we're, <laughs> we're in your house, yeah. and you don't, do your score, you don't record your scores on sound stages. You do them no. right here in your home. I have this love-hate relationship with Hollywood, the drama of it, everything about it. And so that actually extends to wanting to sometimes make my scores in a way that isn't like everybody else in town is doing it. Mm-hmm. So it started out very early in my career purely as a function of economics. I was a poor composer. I couldn't afford capital or whatever. Later in my career, I got into recording at home, and I realized I really like this. This is fun. I, my stuff sound doesn't sound like everybody else. So that grew and grew and grew. We and used, you're never late. 
never late. <laughs> it, it's it, the it's not just money. The time is a huge commodity in filmmaking. So yeah. I also feel like with smaller films with not a lot of time or House of Cards where I got you know I got to do another couple of episodes. It's not a big deal. Like okay, bring the string players over. It's always set up. They're usually good to go. Let's do it. Uh, so that's another reason. There's also a health reason. I was I was diagnosed with uh, MS about 12 years ago. So I've been living with this mm. disability, which um, uh, to, not to belabor it, but it saps my energy. So. Um, anything that, that reduces stress and time in a car as opposed to just doing my job is a good thing. So all those things sort of came together and, and I've got this unique, strange, but very efficient way of, of doing what I do and doing what I love and, and, um, making a living at it. I think it's incredible that you have learned. It's not compensation. You've learned a way to maximize all the assets. Yeah. Um, to continue to do your work. Yeah. I mean, it's a stressful job. Yeah. I'm very familiar with that issue. My father had MS. Oh, sorry. And so I, yeah. I, it's a I, shitty disease, man. It's, and, and I feel bad for you as a son. I mean, when I, my son was a teenager when I was diagnosed, and it was tough, you know, on him. But I know that you have also um, worked through it. Yes. And you're working with it. I'm not, and you're also very brave to be overt about it i know another very very famous composer i think i know who you're talking who about. kept it yeah. under wraps yeah. and um the odd part about it was i was working with him at the time mm. and i kept saying you know to myself <sighs> you just remind me of my father oh, so wow. much and was this then, before or after you knew he had it before wow before i knew he had it wow that's, he, that's i kept so thinking wild. the way he walks the way he's yeah. speaking is yeah. so reminiscent of what I remember growing up, mm. and I just thought, I wonder, nah, it couldn't be. I who, know. who are we talking about? Or is Michael Kamen. Michael Kamen, oh, yeah. Michael Kamen, great composer. I've a worked pro, with him. One of my heroes, musically. All of our heroes, and yeah. I'd worked with him on a number of, I even co-composed the legendary Hudson Hawk score with Michael Kamen. He was a hero mm. of mine, too. All the diehards, Lethal Weapon. Brazil. Brazil. It's just brilliant. I mean, incredible guys. And and stress can trigger the symptoms of MS. So how is it that you're... Well... you somehow are having an opposite effect on this where you're you're in one of the most stressful jobs and... Are you, there's signs of improvement there that I was no, reading? Or? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm stable, thank God. And there's, listen, there's a certain amount of luck in this, and my wife has become a huge advocate and researcher, and I have some, I've had some procedures done. I do all the, tip, the traditional stuff. We do the nutrition. Um, but aside from all those factors, I realized in my course with this that music is actually really good for me. If I do it in a context that is not stressful, it's actually very great for me. It's also really great for my brain. I actually, if people are really into this, you can go to my TED talk. I have a TEDx talk where I talk a little bit about. I talk. It's I not watched about, it. Yeah. Yeah. So I talk about brain, the way we listen to music, but also how um, <clears throat> with a person with MS, where you have these lesions on your brain, any mental activity such as music is is actually very active in connecting the hemispheres of the brain. So actually, I feel like part of being so busy is that I'm always reinforcing the synapses in my brain and keeping my brain healthy and ah, rewiring cool. and all this stuff. Yeah. That's great. I it's fascinating, think, you know, I think that the only appropriate response to something as serious as this is the very, very serious name that score. I was going to say, if you want to keep the exercising Great. those hemispheres, I think, I, I, think yeah. that, I mean, this what, is, what a transition there. A little Rob, levity. You know, yeah. it's like a movie where you get to that really dark moment and you think, what could happen next? Levity. Yes. So <laughs> let's do it. I think we do it. Oh my God, it's been a while. Ladies and gentlemen, play? 
Name that score. The film music game where a perfect score means you, yes you, could be a winner. Now let's play Name that score. The nightmares. Oh back. man! <laughs> Did it always sound that terrible? I mean, that—that's uh, where different. That's unique. where John Powell's famous quote came from on this show. Sound, <laughs> sounds like five pounds of cheese. That's wow. right. <laughs> and every composer has always said at this moment, and Jeff said it uh, when we were talking about doing this. I'm terrible at this game, and then no, the composers always trash. Well, we'll find else. out. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow! Oh wow! Thank oh, you. I got control of the board back from. Uh, from Kenny here. Yeah. I got all the sound effects. Matt, oh, by the way, amazing. did you, by any remarkable chance, pick a theme or a topic for We today? did. Oh, so uh, the theme oh, for this is Westerns. Oh, okay. Uh, Jeff, you've, uh, you've done you a score about, for a, a yeah. Western before, uh, some of the unique things about those. And this is actually a suggestion that we got from... Benson, our buddy on uh, cool. on social media, um, oh, who go soundtracks! We, yeah. we give this a uh, a try, so we're going to try it. Um, we are going to play five famous film scores, but in reverse. Robert, Kenny, and Jeff will pick from three multiple choice answers. The last question is worth double, uh, and if anyone gets all five right, we give away a prize on our Twitter account at Score the Podcast. Just mention hashtag Name That Score. The first one this season. And we're also going to have Carol scream her answers because we only have four microphones. Yay, oh, Carol. wow. <laughs> Get over here, Carol. You can share mine if you want. Yeah. I'll listen. I am apologizing wait in advance. Wait a minute. Wait one second. What if Carol turns out to be a total ringer? Oh, wait. Carol doesn't have headphones, though. So okay. We're gonna have- oh, yeah. yeah. I'm so relieved because my fear <laughs> is that Carol would just say, I know that. Robert, you got to hum that. it to her. A hum. Yeah, uh, I'm going to hum or something. What is her. our prize this week, Kenny? Uh, well, we have a beautiful House of Cards season one over there Ooh. that uh, we're going to have. Did did we have Jeff sign that yet? I will sign it. He will. He promises to sign it before we it's leave. It's going to be signed, especially for our our uh, winner who <laughs> we pick randomly on our social media at Score the Podcast. Yeah, use the hashtag name that score. It's back. So let's jump into this. The first question, um, and I'll give you the options before we play this. Remember, it's so in much. reverse. The first one is The Magnificent Seven, 1960, Elmer Bernstein. How the West Was Won, 1962, Alfred Newman. Or The Good, The Bad, and the Ugly, 1966, Ennio Morricone. Mm. Oh. All right, Kenny, Kenny may, I think it, there's a light bulb there. Again, options here, Magnificent Seven. Elmer Bernstein, How the West Was Won, Alfred Newman, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, Ennio Morricone. Let's uh, let's let's let Robert go first. Just Robert, for, what do like, you darn? Times. I like to draft off everyone else's answers. <laughs> yeah, good for I you. I have an idea, which is first of all, it's not Ennio because that is yeah. a very distinct sound. We all know, Good, Bad, and the Ugly. So it has to be one of those two incredible composers, Elmer or Alfred. And since, oh, it's so. I'm going with Elmer because I'm in an Elmer frame of mind. Okay. Elmer Bernstein, whatever the movie was. Kenny. I'm also going with Elmer Bernstein. And Not to what do you think, Jeff? I thought about Elmer. Can I hear it one more time? Sure. Mm. Got it queued up. All right, this is this is out of the box. I'm gonna go. It could probably is Elmer. I'm gonna go with Alfred just for fun because I feel like the Ooh. sound, the sound of the recording feels oh. sounds old, really old, soundstagey monoe to me. All right, so we have. Uh, oh, somebody got it. 
two people got it. Jeff, uh, Jeff, okay. unfortunately missed that. That's missed that backwards. first one. This one is uh, is Elmer Bernstein, The Magnificent Seven. Here's the theme forwards. It is such a great theme, beautiful, and it could be Alfred. In, it's got that. It's very distinct. So good, Matt. You, you left that part you see, out. That of the part reverse. I would have recognized. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, yeah. I it was a little too Matt iconic. Is mean. For us. He okay. could have played that, and we'd all knock yeah. it down. It's okay. All right, moving on this to is what he does, question though. number he two. I love it. I love it. Classic westerns. Uh, so these are. Let's see. 1969's The Reavers, John Williams. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, 1969, Burt Bacharach. <laughs> and Silverado, 1985, uh, oh, okay. Bruce Broughton. That was a long sample because this is a tough one. Yeah. Carol remembers that era. <laughs> Carol, can you give me any tips there it's in this, from 1969? No? Okay. We have the Reavers, John Williams, Butch Cassidy, and the Sundance Kid, Burt Bacharach, and Silverado, Bruce Broughton. Jeff, why don't you go since... Yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb. I think, it's, I think it's a little too... I don't think it's Burt Bacharach. Could be wrong, but... I think it's John Williams. Early John Williams? Yeah. I'm going to go Bruce. I'm going with Jeff. I know it's, I, I, I don't know anything, <laughs> but I don't think it's Burt Bacharach either. And I kind of know that score. And it's, it's the Reavers by John Williams. You kind of know that score? I No, I know the Burt Bacharach score a little better and I can't place that. All right. I'm saying John Williams. Somebody got it right. Oh, two oh. people got it right. Kenny, Kenny, you missed that one. Dude, if Robert wins, I'm going to lose it. (laughs) If he wins, I'm going to lose. Right now, Robert in first place. Two points. All right, moving on to question three. I am. These are westerns from the 1990s. Uh, Now uh, we're talking. Dances with Wolves, John Barry. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, I didn't play this forwards. Hold on a sec. Should we play this forwards? Oh, yeah. John Williams. I don't think the stutter was in the original. John Williams, very interesting the way he edits his music. <laughs> <laughs> but he wrote a waltz, which I love. I was going to say, is that a, that's it's a, a waltz? waltz? I love, I've written so many. There's a lot of waltzes in Queen of Versailles. I love waltzes. That's fantastic. Waltz is that freak. the score that uh, Spielberg heard? Yeah. yeah. That's wow. the one he yep. noticed him on. <laughs> and he said, hey, doing this movie, Sugarland Express. This and guy must this be 80 movie, years Jaws, old. Doing this movie. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so question three. These are 1990s westerns. First one, Dances with Wolves, 1990, John Barry. Wyatt Earp, 1994, James Newton Howard. Mm-hmm. And Tombstone, 1993, Bruce Broughton again. Wow. All right, Kenny, you missed the last one, so you go first. One more time on the choices. Uh, the choices are Dances with Wolves, John Barry, Wyatt Earp, James Newton Howard, and Tombstone, Bruce Broughton. Wyatt Earp, James Newton Howard. <laughs> it's very confident, okay? 
Uh, Robert. Uh, it's clearly a, um, I don't know, situation. <laughs> so I'm going to say, I was going to say Wyatt Earp, but I think just because you said it, I have to go John Barry. Dances with Wolves? Dances with Wolves. Okay. Oh, this is good. Let's make this interesting because I was going to go with Bruce. Ooh. So there we go. We got a threefer. It's going to break this tie, although Robert's still in the lead, so. Only one person got it right. And it's um, Jeff. Oh, it's Jeff. Man. Oh, my God. Oh, there's the God. audience. All right. Let's, uh, let's that hear was, this See, forward. that's when it gets exciting when uh, everyone picks I mean, one. the excitement here, I'm just... <laughs> yeah. I like how Matt says one person got it right. Thank you. Of course. You're welcome. Yeah, boy. Based on that. This probability... Your, this did, puts Jeff in first place. He's tied with Robert. Oh, well, I'm well, tied for I'm first place tied. Okay. And so, I'm sinking. Tiebreaker. And, and Kenny's dropping. Yep, you better... Tiebreaker. Here it is, forwards. a cool theme too tombstone oh yeah i should announce the winner tombstone (laughs) um so uh there we go we're moving into question number four uh right now it is uh jeff and robert that are tied in first place two points to one for kenny all right question cue up the number theme here i four Okay, so 2007 was a weird year. There were a handful of uh, westerns that came out, and I actually uh, I have two of them that were big big hits that year. 310 to Yuma, Ooh, Marco Beltrami. Good movie. No good Country sports. for Old Men, uh, Carter Burwell. And uh, this one was not from 2007 at all. <laughs> I'm not sure why this is under 2007. Uh, Rusty getting back into things. The Hateful Eight, 2015, Ennio Morricone. Uh. And here's our clip. All right, our options again. No Country for Old Men, Robert's 310 to Yuma, The Hateful Eight. Robert has his hands up. Volunteer. What do you say, Robert? I'm gonna, I'm not this, okay, what do you got, man? No Country for Old Men I'm going with. I okay. don't know. Uh-huh. Yeah, I just feel that. Kenny, are you going to draft off of that? No. <laughs> I got to make a bold move here. Good. <laughs> make um, your mark. No Country, 310 mark. to Yuma, The Hateful Eight. I'm going Marco Beltrami, 310 to Yuma. Okay. Nobody, Jeff? nobody took my guess, which is Ennio. Just because oh, that's dissonance. the other one I wanted. Dissonant, <laughs> obviously. Beep, 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 dissonant. dissonant and weird. All right, I'm going to see if anyone can recognize this. Forwards, one. Everyone picked a different answer, so somebody's right. Suspense. Oh damn it! Uh, I think any, anybody. I think I know. I think this is Ennio. Jeff's pointing at Robert. I think so. Oh, wait a minute. And I was pointing at Jeff. I think it's Ennio. I feel like this is from the beginning of the movie. Oh, yeah. In the snow. Yeah. I think it is Ennio. I see. I've never seen the movie. I was just guessing based on my love for Ennio. (laughs) Seriously, I just think I know his voice. Robert. Ah. No country, you right? You got it. It's no country for old men. Oh, uh, there's not a score in that movie. And you know there's there, there's the just pieces of a score. There's a yeah. few little chunks of music, and yeah. uh, that's one that's used really midway through the film. Really embarrassing why I guessed that, and I got it right. Well, good for really you, man. Really embarrassing why? Embarrassing. 
because I was thinking, this sounds like Johnny Greenwood, completely forgetting it was that Carter, sounds like Burwell. Carter Burwell. I'm going to go ahead yeah. and challenge oh, Cohen Brothers. That doesn't qualify <laughs> as a score. Sorry, Matt. We it, have a challenge. Oh, count, two counts. Uh, we have a challenge. Throwing the red flag. Um, all right, number five, sci-fi meets Western. Wow. These Cowboys three and films have something in common. One of those is Cowboys and Aliens. Crushing it. Back to the Future <laughs> 3. Oh, wow. Ooh. 1990, Alan Silvestri. Cowboys and Aliens, 2011, Harry Gregson Williams. Gregster. And uh, something much more recent, Westworld, Ramin Javadi. Oh, I know it. Kenny knows it. I'm going to go last, though, because I don't want to give it away. What is the Westworld... What Back to the Future 3 in, from 1990, Alan Silvestri, Cowboys and Aliens, Harry Gregson Williams uh, from 2011, and Westworld, Ramin Javadi. I'll go first. Okay. Westworld by right. Ramin yep. Javadi. Damn. I don't know it that well, but I know there's a solo island, so based on this Sonics, I'm going to go that, Westworld. I, don't, what's the name of the cue? It is it's the one that goes... <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yeah. Is that th- I can't remember what the That's what you called. think? You're going Westworld too? Yeah. All right, let's hear this all fours. Ooh. Oh, maybe not. Mm. Can I change? <laughs> I mean, we don't know the answer yet. Anyone want to want to make a uh, change to their guess? I'm going to go, I would like to go I, back, I'm going to go to Harry Gregson. Same. Sounds media venturous to I'm me. I'm moving. I'm staying. Yes. Robert's staying. Oh, it's Harry Gregson Williams. Yeah. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> nice. Wait. All right. They're pulling themselves like back into the game. All right. All so right. now let's get an updated score. score. Can I check uh, with the refs? Are you allowed to change your answer in the middle of a... <laughs> oh, hey, come on, man. Your question wasn't oh, even you know a real what? score. It was a <laughs> chunk of a score. And remember, our last question is worth double. That's okay, right. Okay, so what is our Ooh. current score? So our current score is uh, Kenny has three. How did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> Because he just got it, he just got a two to tie it up. Robert also has three, yes, and Jeff has four. Oh mm. shoot! Wow, was that an extra? <laughs> that, that last one was worth more points or no, something? The, the fifth, you're just crushing it. The fifth oh, one wow. is worth uh, okay. is worth extra points. Worth already. double. <laughs> I do have a, a tiebreaker question, and since uh, since right. we do have a tie, even though it's for second place, I guess we might as well use this. These are Western comedies. Ooh, fun. Uh, maybe the most famous one. Oh, I, I played this before. I was ready. Blazing Saddles, nineteen seventy four. John Morris, Three Amigos, nineteen eighty six. Elmer Bernstein That's and Randy right. Newman. Oh wow, fun! And twenty uh, fourteen's A Million Ways to Die in the West. Joel McNeely. Oh wow. Blazing Saddles. Three Amigos. Me. Robert says Three Amigos. I'm, Kenny says I'm Blazing going Saddles. Three Amigos as well. Damn. Sounds, sounds Spanish to me. I heard the... Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> sounds tango-y to me. Wow. See, you you started this game saying you didn't know that any of these... Hey, and you this is fun. Well, you, come didn't out, you even the, win the bonus round. The backwards thing is fun, man. <laughs> I like it. It's, Here it is, forwards. 
This movie's still hilarious, too. One for each other all right, so we give a big, uh, big applause there for Jeff Beal winning our uh, return of Name That Score. Oh, I'm not going to be good at work, this, everybody. Say. Sounds like five pounds of cheese. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> That's amazing. And fabulous, Jeff! Congratulations! Thank you, sir. It really is, <laughs> and uh, I think it happens more often than than we ever hope it will. Which is the composer takes home the prize. <laughs> Does Jeff win the prize? No, he gets to give it away. Yeah. Can I tell you a funny story about that game, which I really enjoyed? Please. There's a. I was thinking about when we were talking about the brain earlier, but there's a book called "This Is Your Brain on Music" by Dan Levitan. Oh, Dan Levitan's a great writer and about this music. This game is a great example of his thesis, which is that it's not just the notes; it's the timbre that a composer uses in the. In the mm. Like you were talking about the House of Cards, your instrumentation. Yes, we pick a series of notes, but also a huge choice we make is the way we put the notes together, the sounds, the just the physical um, sounds, and it's like painting. You know, it's, it's yeah. that thing. And 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 great composers like Ennio or whoever they have, they have, they have an imprint. So I actually screwed up and I didn't get Ennio. But you know what I mean? It's kind of like right. also playing that. game. We noticed that because we've done this game. This is the twenty-first wow. game that we've done of this. And John Williams, we always notice that when we play yeah. it backwards. He's got a sound. sounds like John the, Williams. Yeah, you even thought one of them sounded like it was a mono studio recording yeah. it could be alfred which is an interesting thing yeah. in terms of timbre yeah. which i think is what um you know there's a a very odd uh profession out there which is a log cutter and composer and you know <laughs> what they yell when the, they cut the tree down Timber. Thank you very much. And we're going to be right back. I want you to tip your waitress. Uh, we have a great show this week with Jeff. Jeff, um, before we go, you have a show on ABC right now. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Super fun. Grand Hotel. You know, I just needed a break after House of Cards. So this is just a really fun. Uh, it's Grand Hotel. It's uh, soapy. Uh, it's a family right. in Miami. It's really cute. I love it. And, and if you stick with it, it's a show you watch with your wife if you're a guy. Let's put it that way. Well, I'll tell you that I watch <laughs> The Bachelor every week. There and, you go. And it comes on. Well, it's on after. So yeah, just stick I know. That's, that's, I'm like, oh, Jeff Beal, Grand Hotel. But I'm, I'm guilty of watching The Bachelor. I think on Score the Podcast, you learn more information than you want to know. That's just <laughs> one of the things that we're famous for. I didn't even want to know that about you. I'm Ken. not afraid to say it. It's entertaining. You should be. Come on. Yes. <laughs> Do you watch I, The Bachelor? No, a, a little bit before Grand Hotel comes on occasionally. <laughs> so you catch the the ceremony then? Oh my God, it's crazy, man! Really, <laughs> too much information. Yeah. But yeah. Grand Hotel, I know about it, and I'd I'd like to see it. There's a huge billboard on Ventura Boulevard. Still that I see. fantastic. Uh, it, so what? Well, let's see. Yeah. Any you, other projects you're working on that uh, you can? One discuss? I can't talk about. Good. I just met on a film today, which I can probably talk about. Nice. Which I, w- I will be signed on to do soon. I'm so excited. I just met these filmmakers. It's a documentary called Console Wars, and it's a console console like video games. It's about Sega and Nintendo back Ooh, in the cool. '90s. It's super duper cool. Um, they're the nicest guys. They actually wrote a book about the same subject about seven years ago. I knew about this for they. Here's the fun thing about a career in film music. I, every time anybody reaches out, me think I figure out today it's going to be about House of Cards. These guys who are about thirty in their thirties, I would say, 
they it was Monk. That was the reason they they wanted to hire me. So ah. you just never know. Well, That's once cool. your music's out there, and I wonder, uh, I guess we'll have to wait to see if there's some sounds that come from those games. That yes, could be. And we themed. talked about that. I just the whole eight bit sort of fun electronic yeah. thing. It's really a story about technology and this sort of American inventiveness. Even though they're a Japanese country, the story really takes place in America, and it's about this sort of can do entrepreneurial and and a battle and just like you know let's let's one up each other that's what we're still doing yeah with our phones one and our up cars and nice video game pun right there, there one you go. Up. and those are See. cool themes to play with musically too i love imagine it. it'll be fun to just kind of dive into things i love it and the other project which i can't talk about which has not been announced but also takes place in the late 80s early 90s and again musically it's a fun Period, because that was the early days of sort of digital synthesizers, and we yeah. were we were inhabited in them. And you see this in like the wonderful sort of retro scores of like Stranger Things. Sure, there was sort of an unabashed embracing of the technology as mm-hmm. like the new shiny thing, which is so fun. It seems very quaint when we sort of go back there and, and dive into that world a little bit. But so odd is it doesn't feel like it's that long ago, and yet it yeah. kind of is starting to become. A generation ago, I know. Let's let's look because we were old guys. That's exactly right. <laughs> we're old. We're old and speaking here. of old guys, I think uh, Kenny's about to wrap up the show for us. <laughs> speaking right. of old guys, <laughs> you know, speak, let me let me Another tell you let me tell transition. you kids something. Uh, Jeff, we want to thank you so much for taking time yeah. to chat with us. Thank you so much. This has been Score the Podcast presented by Spitfire Audio. And a reminder: stick around after our ending of the show here we're going to play you a little clip an example of how you can elevate your music from spitfire audio we want to thank our guest jeff beal and of course mash raider for joining us one more clap oh well thank you thank you everyone and um, and and yeah make sure to go to our twitter at score the podcast and use the hashtag name that score if you want to be entered to win this house of cards signed cd oh look at this it's beautiful and jeff good luck with the Thank Emmy. you. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, exciting. It's and we'll see what happens. I always, one of the most exciting things I always found for any composer is you have a film to do. Isn't that great? Yeah. It was always kind of scary when you didn't know what you're doing next. So I, yeah. I'm just happy. That's that, a blessing. That oh, there's always boy. something. Hey, we wouldn't be here without Carol, our fabulous and, and Carol, Carol helping us out, putting it all together. Yeah, it's a single one more. Clap. I Why like not? that. Yeah. I think we do it. Um, and just a reminder to our listeners, uh, again, follow us at Score the Podcast and rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to click subscribe. I think subscribe. And I think we're about to be in for a very, very <laughs> special treat. If I get as, oiled, yes. as Jeff. He's valving the oils or oiling the valves. Excuse well, me. Valving the oils. Is, <laughs> are we, is this the end of the show? Are you playing us out? Jeff is going to play us out. We're going to let's let's waste some time here. Right, Did you guys see uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Saw it. <laughs> Matt loved all the feet in the movie. Oh, that it, was the first. I thought oh, Quentin again. Really, it's I just every his movies are so great. Love except to share always the scene. The great karma of finding the only theater that didn't have a sold out sold out tickets. The only one I could find on opening night when I had to see it was the Bruin Theater in Westwood. Oh, that's cool. So that's I in dragged, the movie. I dragged everybody to the Bruin. Did you I, take your shoes off and put them up on the... I wanted to. <laughs> uh, I got a lot of grief. Oh. And there it was in the movie. Here we go. We're going to go one, two, one. All right, Kenny, are you going to read us out? I already did. 
Let's also mention you can find Jeff on uh, Twitter at JBL Music. At JBL Music. And with that, we will see you next week. See you next week. Thanks, Jeff. Hey, SCORE fans, we're so excited for the support of Spitfire Audio. They collaborate with people like Hans Zimmer and the Bernard Herrmann Estate to build sample libraries that elevate your music. You're about to hear a musical demo of what that sounds like. And as an exclusive to our fabulous listeners, Spitfire Audio is offering one-third off any product they sell if you use the promo code SCORE. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's me. Just go to SpitfireAudio.com and check out their selection. And remember, this offer is exclusive to Score the Podcast listeners. So take advantage of the deal. It's a limited time offer. Again, one-third off with the promo code SCORE. Here's a quick example of what some of the sounds sound like. get amazing sounds like the ones you just heard and many more now for a third off a third off the price just make sure to use the promo code score so they know we sent you we'll see you next week